Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Well, welcome to episode nine of the Alan Myers Everton podcast. Uh, glad you can listen along. Um, hope you've enjoyed the ones before. Uh, a little bit of a shortened uh, episode tonight, mainly because we've got a full half hour interview with former Everton captain uh, Don Hutchison. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. He uh, he really talks quite candidly about his time at Everton. Uh, you will enjoy it, I promise you. Um, but before that, we're going to talk a few things. Uh, squad size, we're going to hear from um, Marco Silva on that. So we're going to look at the players who may be gone uh, by the time we've uh, we've recorded this. Um, the window, of course, internationally shuts on the September the 2nd. And we'll also be hearing um, with regards to Kevin Morales has just gone out uh, to Antwerp and uh, there's a few more players that we maybe will see them leave the club in the next uh, few days or so. We'll also look at Lucas Dean. What about that? fantastic free kick against Lincoln and seeing really loving a look in depth about how maybe he settled into the club and, and how well he's just slotted in at left back uh, to replace such a great player as, as Leighton Baines and I'm pleased to say joining me to talk all those things is Paul Wheelock from the Liverpool Echo and Paul let's start with um, the squad size because I've been listening to uh, Marco Silva and we'll hear from the Everton manager shortly um, but of course players are still coming in uh, sorry going out and, and, and will come in in January And is the squad at the size I think that you you know it's quite a small squad isn't it Everton yeah it's, it, it definitely looks like we're, we're going to be going with a 20, 22, 24 man squad and, that, and that's supplemented by quite a fair few young players isn't it but you know, when you do have four or five players who are, are seen as, as as not being wanted anymore, I suppose you've got to go that way because, you know, other clubs may have Balassi in the squad, may have had Morales in the squad, may have had Nias in the squad, but it's clear Marco doesn't doesn't see a future for them there. And obviously we've got this issue of having a really big wage bill and, you know, with FFP and and the likes, you've, you've got to get that down. So it may come back to bite us this year, you know, like the fact that we've only got three recognised centre-backs and one's Mason Holgate, you're still kind of learning the ropes and, and up front, we're not particularly str- strength and depth, do we? But I think it's almost like they could cause us short-term pain, but for the long-term game, because if we get those big earners who don't have a future at the club off the books, it, it should hopefully help us, you know, when uh, we try and go back out in the market and recruit. Well, Marco Silva's been talking about uh, squad size and let's listen to exactly what he's got to say about it. It's something we... Um... We try to, to find, of course, uh, to be deeper in some moments. If you look now for our squad, it's not, if you talk about number of players, it's not so big. We have um, 20, 20 players in my plans, plus three goalkeepers, 20 senior players, plus three goalkeepers. We normally work with more three young players with us every, every, single, every single week. But the squad, you are talking about a short number, is what we... Uh, was my decision and of course after we are talking about competition uh, between them and if the competition is is strong is it's good uh, will help us in the future because the, the players are on the bench they have to be always ready to help and here um, 
some words for the not just the players they come in against Villa because they had the impact on the on the pitch, but the players they came in against Lincoln. Um, of course, two more less time than the other two, but the two strikers they come uh, with the, the aim to help really the team, and they were important that period to to change the the, the things for us and to help us to to score the the goals we have scored, and it's really important uh, to me because at the end when you change something. Uh, what the manager expect is the players came in to to, the, to make something different and to have a, to have an impact uh, on the on the match and try to to be to be the key player in that in that period. So uh, as Marco Silva says there, and as you said, Paul, um, it is a sort of twenty twenty two man squad. But I think the key thing is is are we short in particular um, positions? You know, from a sort of quality point of view and you've mentioned the centre half position what about the striking position because of course Moish Keane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin I know we have Cenk Toshin but he's not first choice you know it doesn't seem as if he's going to be first choice you know we've got a 19 year old and what a 20 21 22 year old I mean is that is that enough for a Premier League season do you think I'm not convinced it is again I can understand why we've had to go with the options we've got because to buy a recognised centre forward, a 23, 24 year old who's got a proven track record, how much are we talking? We're talking 40, 50, 60, 70 million. Yeah. And I just don't think, I'm sure the money's there, but you just can't spend the money anymore, can you? Because if, if you've, yeah. like, as I mentioned earlier, if you've got those kind of FFP restrictions, you've got to be careful yeah. in terms of the money that goes out. It, the bits I've seen of Moise Keane this season is really promising. The, the, obviously, the last game was was linking away, and the way he dropped his shoulder and it, it hit that post with that really like first shot, it, it showed he's got something about him. Maybe a little bit more in that respect than, than Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who brings his own attributes. But as you said, he's nineteen and the twenty-one, and that's pinning a lot of pinning a lot of hopes on their shoulders. But Again, as I said earlier, I think it's just something that we might have to go with. But I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I think it's the centre forward and it's the centre back for me because I think Mason Holgate had a bit of a tough time at Lincoln. He came through it in the end, but it's just we're one injury away, aren't we? But you know, what do we do? Do we? Do we? Is there a point of playing the ass? Not really, is there? Because he's just not got a future. I mean, I think that you know Richarlison is there. You know, there are options for Marco Silva, I guess. And I'd rather than buy players that really fit into what they're doing, and you know, rather than just buy. I mean, we saw that, didn't we, a couple definitely, of years ago definitely. with Ronald Koeman? It was just a case of here's your money, here's your pocket money, go out and spend yeah, it. You know, yeah. and, but and the Vlasic one was classic, and that wasn't exactly. it? like it was. They were going into every shop that was open and willing to sell someone. You know, so. In that respect, you don't want you don't want the wrong people being bought brought uh, brought into the club or bought. Um, so, in that particular you know sort of instance, I think I think probably caution is better. Um, you mentioned the players that may well go out. We saw Morales go out. How will he be remembered? Do you think? Because I, I I have to say, uh, yeah, okay. Listen, he, he, I, I saw him a number of times. I was at the club when he was there, and I, I felt. Um, whilst he did have talent, there's no two ways about it. And I think most of the the good parts we saw of Kevin Morales came when David Moyes was the manager. Yeah, definitely. Um, but since then, and maybe four years or so, we've not really seen anything. I mean, would you go along with that? Yeah, completely. I remember, I think you, you spot on about when Moyes, because he, he scored some fantastic goals. The one that 
always sticks out in my mind, apart from I think he scored a couple of crackers at Tottenham, was at home to Stoke. I think it was like a late Saturday evening kickoff game and it was like a length of the pitch run. And he he did that was the frustrating thing about him. He did have that ability, didn't he? There was no yeah, question that definitely it a was, talented player. But it was just the consistency and sometimes it was the attitude. You know, did he want it enough or was he bothered enough? And I think a big turning point for a lot of blues was that penalty against West Brom where he took yeah. it off Baines and it's just like it kind of just summed up the kind of feelings towards him at that point. And the fact that he's he, last three or four seasons seems to have been out on loan all the time. And I think it's quite telling to him the fact that none of those clubs have picked him up permanently. I know it's yeah. different now because his yeah, contacts, yeah. his contacts out of uh, it, it runs out at the end of the season. So he'll be going no matter what. But yeah, I, I don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll be loved. But he did have flashes, then they, you know. Oh yeah, he, I mean, there's no two ways about. It. I remember speaking. We we played Arsenal away, um, and we drew one one in Roberto's time in my yeah. time at the club, and, and it was a great was game. It, yeah. And and Delafeo scored last few minutes, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, but we end a really good one one draw, and I felt that night the only real one in that team that night who let us down was Morales, and and, and I felt it was a luxury. I remember standing on the, the, the side of the touchline after the game, we were waiting to, for the press to do the press, and I said to Roberto. Do you think? Do you think? You know, we, do you think he's a little bit of a luxury? And I think Roberto sort of obviously, you know, he never said anything bad about anybody, or yeah. you know, wouldn't <laughs> you, you know, wouldn't criticise anybody in so, you know as such. But but he sort of said, no, 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 he's a he's a he's a really talented player. And I think that wasn't really my point at the time. I think it was the fact that you know he was a little bit of a luxury. I felt when he played, and and I, and I just. I just would. He was a bit moody, and I just felt we probably should have seen more from Kevin Morales as he's gone. But you mentioned other other players before. Balassi was, I think his his time at Everton. I think yeah. you could describe it as a bit of a washout. Yeah, really? massively, massively big money. I was never that convinced. To be fair, I just I didn't think he looked like an Everton player. He was unquestionably had that turn of pace, and he could whip a ball in, but he just never seemed to be an Everton footballer for me. And you, you've got to have a degree of sympathy for him because he had a, a really bad injury. But like Morales, he went to Anderlecht and he, he didn't he didn't rip it up there, did he? And, no, and the no. fact that we're getting close to the end of the European transfer window and no one's taken him yet. I know there's, there's been reports today as we record this that he's, he's turned down and moved to Moscow, to I think. To Russia, yeah. You know, and maybe you don't blame him, to be honest, no. for a number of reasons. Well, it's winter coming as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll be rushing over there. Russian, <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Hey, the jokes are all on the Everton uh, podcast here, lads. Hey, but yeah, it's it it's just not worked out as it at all. It was a lot of money, and again, it was it, it kind of it's all linking back to what we've said. What you were exactly right saying before, it just seemed in those kind of cumin days that everything was on the table. Yeah, do, you, just, do you want to do you want to pay twenty eight million pounds exactly. for a twenty seven year old Palace winger? Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, go get him. Yeah, and it, yeah. I just don't think it's going to be like that I, anymore. I, and I think you know Nias is quite an interesting one. I think because <laughs> you just can't dislike him, can you? No, you know, and, no. and 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 I don't think I've ever seen a game where he hasn't tried. You know, and hasn't put a shift in yeah. every time he's played. You know, and it just. I don't know. I, I I don't think we've ever seen a, a you know a top class goal scorer and a top class striker in him. You know, I think everybody else has wherever he's gone. Yeah. He seems to have done really well for them. But um, but now I, I I just again I think you know he's not the future of Everton, is he? No, he's God loves to try, doesn't he? And uh, he, he certainly tries, as you yeah. said. But it's just it's just not at the required level of quality. You know, no. it was. No. It, I remember when he signed. Uh, when Martinez signed him for a good fee and he was quite exciting. I think he was top scorer in that league at the time. And I remember, I think it must have been in the echo, Romelu Lukaku was quoted. He was obviously 
obvious question like how's your new teammate what's he like I said oh yeah he's, he's very raw and I remember thinking <laughs> you don't have yeah. to say that about Se- like a, secret code <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he ain't great and I thought yeah. like 14 million on a striker you think oh yeah he's sharp he's going to push me yeah he's raw <laughs> and uh, he probably is still raw yeah, I, I love uh, football um, you know code like uh, <laughs> you, you know he'll have liked to have done better with that one you know what I mean yeah. you know, so the usual uh, the usual code but of course uh, uh, Martina as well same sort of thing we can say it's never really sort of work for him I felt, feel a little bit sorry for him again a, you know a player who who had a go you know but it just didn't it just didn't matter and we saw young Callum Connolly going out again um, to Lincoln uh, in the last few days but um, I want to move on to somebody who has been a hit um, and that's Lucas Dean and, and I mean that free kick against Lincoln and, I, and people say you know oh it's against Lincoln it doesn't matter when you do that sort of quality it doesn't matter whether you're playing in Springfield Park you know in Old Swan yeah. or whether you're playing Lincoln or whether you're playing at Wembley or, or in a cup final you know to, to have that technique to have that quality um, you know you can't I, I look at it and I think you know when I looked at Baines I, I, I thought you're going to have to go some to, to you know to match Leighton Baines you're going to have to go some to to, to, to you know to uh, to fire in free kicks like Leighton Baines, and you're going to have to go some to have the career that Leighton Baines has had. But I, I honestly can't see this lad not ticking all those boxes. Can you? No, completely agree. It was just the goal itself. Before talking about his impact to the club, it reminded me of Messi's against Liverpool yeah. in the European. Yeah. Cup semi-final at the New Camp last season. It was just postage stamp, wasn't it? Mm. Top corner. No yeah. keeper in the world would save that shot. Yeah. And I, and you rightly said there, like just because it's Lincoln, just because it's the Carabao Cup, doesn't uh, detract from the quality. And the thing is, you want him to do it more now because Sig- Sigurdsson's probably our best long-range shooter. Yeah. But to 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 be to be honest, now he still takes a fair few free kicks. I think what we've seen. Burnley away last season, uh, at Watford at home, and then obviously in the week against Lincoln, he should be our man now on them, you know, because he's just got that undoubted quality. And in terms of his player, yeah, just absolutely top class. I, I, I you always knew the time had come when Baines would have to be replaced, mm. but you just thought, you know, how are we going to p- replace a really solid defender? And more importantly, how are we going to replace someone who's got quality down that Dead left flank? And, and it is yeah, so important as an attacking final yeah, third absolutely. player. And he does attack. I mean, the <laughs> pass that he made for Bernard's goal yeah. uh, against Watford was Amazing. sublime, wasn't yeah. it? You know, and, yeah. and, and someone who has that talent and that quality, I, I'm actually quite surprised that. Barcelona would uh, would have allowed him to go. In fairness, you know, and but you know, but obviously they have a you know a host of of, of top class players, I guess. But um, but he is something special. I was tra- it made me think about f- great free kick takers that we've had down mm-hmm. the years. And I mean, I remember obviously Andy Hinchcliffe was yeah. w- w- you know could take a free yeah. kick, couldn't he? Even Ross Barkley, I think, was yeah. was was a decent free kick taker. Um, but I'm not so sure you could look past Kevin Sheedy, could you? No, no, not at all. I, I started going to game in like probably towards the late 80s. I was young when we, I think one of the first games was just after we won the title in 87. I think we played Tottenham, didn't we, after? Yes, that's right. It was right, 1-0 yeah. and then they yeah. played in the cup final, didn't yeah. they, against Coventry. Yeah. And Sheedy was still in his pomp then, wasn't he? But even yeah. after that, I think like till like the late 80s, early 90s, he still had an unbelievable ability. And another left footer, you know, yeah. Dean, you know, Absolutely. Baines. It's, yeah. it, 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 there's something about them, isn't there? You know, and, there really is. And, and Deb Ball, I think Deb Ball, specialists are so important to I mean as you said we've got Sigurdsson and after that I'm not sure we've got that much in our locker really you know Bernard possibly we haven't seen that come out yet but possibly um, another thing that I think we've 
I picked up on this week was Richarlison's celebration against uh, Lincoln. First of all, he got a load of stick about, you know, putting his shirt up for beating Lincoln. But I, I don't think you can expect a player to have that thing in his head that, oh, it's Lincoln, I can't celebrate that, you know. Um, you know, a win's a win, and, and, and I like to see a player celebrate in any way, shape or form if it's a win. Um, but the fact he put the shirts up, some people felt the wrong way round. Um, but his point, and he's done it with Brazil, he's done it with his former clubs, I think, was the fact that he's showing the badge rather yeah, than rather the than name. Rather than the person, yeah. And I, does that tell you something about him? Yeah, massively, because he, he struggled a little bit in that game again. He's, I think he's, he's he's probably knackered, to be honest, the amount of football he's played over the last year. Yeah. And you can tell he, his sharpness is not quite there. And I think in the lead-up to the game, I think Marco did an interview, didn't he, where he was saying he's his own worst critic. Sometimes he, he beats himself up too much about how he's playing. And it was a massive release. It was a brilliant goal, you know, and he could have had two or three that night in the same way he could have had two against Watford, you know, earlier in the season. And what I love about him, he seems to genuinely want to play for Everton. He yeah. seems to genuinely love being at Everton. Like, my lad's six now. He's, his last season, he had Richarlison on the back. And he, he just... We don't have many... Super, not He's not a superstar, I wouldn't say, but he's a star. And I don't think we've had one of those for a no. long time. We had Lukaku. But again, he didn't feel like... But he, he, he didn't he, connect, did he? No, you know, no. You always felt that yeah. he didn't connect. Yeah. And, and Richarlison yeah. does. He really does. And I thought yeah. most players... Would turn around and turn the shirt and put to you know thirty yeah. Richarlison. I'm the main man. Yeah, or seven course, yeah. is seven yeah. years is now. I should say, but yeah, the fact that he he turned it around and put Everton. I think it was a you know people are taking a mick out of him, but you know, he's just scored a great goal. He I looked, think it's a I, you know I think it's a so interrupted. I think it's a really good point you make there about that those connections, and I think that we've got more and more of those in the team now. When you look at Bernard, when you look at the way Lucas Dean interacts with people on, on social media as well, and you know, and there, there are a number of players now in that squad who feel like you know, they're enjoying their time at Everton. I think that's important, isn't it? Yeah, massively, massively, because it's a massive club. You know, maybe people from the outside go, oh, well, what they've done in recent years, finished eighth, finished eleventh, finished seventh. People may just say, "Oh, it's a mid-table Premier League club." But once they come here, you know, you can see how big a deal it is and how well supported it is. And the the community side on the last your your last podcast with the uh, the interview with Brands, where he yeah. was talking about, well, I actually didn't have to do too much in the yes, Gomez deal. Yeah. It, was yeah, the yeah, it was the fans, and I think it, yeah. you know, you could go to Barcelona like Luca Dean or or Gomez, and it's an unreal one the biggest if not the biggest club in the world but maybe they don't feel that kind of close community family feel like tied with a really big football club as well yeah. and I think you're absolutely right I think Dean Gomez Richarlison Bernard just seem to be loving it there and, and long may it continue because if Dean keeps on playing the way he is there will be people no doubt looking yes, at course, him but hopefully yeah. we can match his, his ambitions as well uh, you, you know it's a good point because uh, and we'll end on this you know we we um the amount of players I've spoken with who've played for Everton and they say to me, they all say the same, that you don't quite realise the pressure of playing for Everton until you actually play for them. You know, people see it from the outside. Yes, OK, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, we, people knew how big a club it was in that respect. But now players come and this is like, I could name a number of players who've said this to me who people would be quite surprised at. And when they arrive at the club, they don't realise until they start playing the pressure of playing for Everton Football Club. And I think one player who that would certainly go with, it was, a, a, you know, it's Don Hutchison, who yeah. um, I spoke with this week. 
And uh, Don talks about his love for Howard Kendall. He talks about, you know, captaining the club, which really meant something to him. And and, and, and also, so we started by talking about um, how coming to Everton uh, affected him with being an ex-Liverpool player. So let's hear from Don Hutchison. No, um, well, how it came about, I mean, I was probably texting Howard more than he was texting me because obviously he was my manager at Sheffield United and once he'd gone away and left um, Sheffield to, to rejoin Everton, which was a fantastic move for him going back to his club, um, he took two or three um, Everton, sorry, Sheffield United players with him. Uh, he took Carl Tyler, Mitch Ward, uh, and I was a little bit jealous. Um but I sort of kept on sort of badgering away and just kept texting him, just kept staying in touch with him. And then finally, my agent uh, texted me and just said, you're sitting down. I went, go on. She went, Everton want to take it. And I was like, oh, like, incredible. I've been waiting for this. Uh, in terms of going back to Merseyside, I haven't played for Liverpool. Now nah, it was an exciting time for me. You know me, I was always, I've always been the type that sort of thrived on that sort of challenge and I would never be fearful. No, um, what was it? What was it like? Because it was a, it was a stri- I mean, we'll come on to it later about that season, the ninety seven, ninety eight season. But what was it? I mean, when you arrived at the club, I mean, obviously I was there at the same time as well. And yeah, what 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 were you think? Did you think we need to pick this side up from the scruff of the neck and get going? Yeah, well, it was a difficult one because obviously when you go into a new club, you, you haven't really got the power. You haven't. You've got to settle in first. You've got to make sure that the dressing room accepts you. You know you. You're coming from a championship club at Sheffield United into a top-class club at Everton. So, still had very good players there. Dress room was very strong, good characters. But you've sort of got to bide your time. You can't just go into a brand-new dress room all guns blazing. And it was, I think, it was very clear that, you know, once a couple of months had gone by, we were very, very inconsistent. We could never really sort of string two results together, two performances together. We weren't really churning out too many wins. The confidence was there. Um, like I said, was it was a good group of players to... To, to play with um, but just on the pitch it was just all a little bit I wouldn't say off the cuff but it was just a bit sporadic in terms of you, we never felt as though we could win two games on the spin even when we were playing teams down at the bottom of the league or, or, the, or the middle of the league the top end clubs we thought we had a chance of beating because we're Everton and we're at home but away on the road I think we had a, a lack of confidence and a lack of belief inside the dressing room I mean, did you feel that there was a fight and there was going to be that fight at the end, the relegation? Was it, was it, you know, that was, was that evident when you got there? I think that was, looking back, I think it was probably inevitable, really. Um, you know, I can remember the running results up until that Coventry game, and it always feels like the Arsenal game was actually the last game of the season when Tony Adams got his volley, but that yeah. was the second last game yeah. of the season when they pumped us four. At Highbury, and it was four going on seven or eight. I mean, every single one of us had a shocker. I mean, it was it was a bad game to lose. It was a it was a demoralising one as well, knowing that we had Cov at home. But that was the that was the that was the benefit for us because we knew at Goodison, you know, we knew with the Evertonians behind us, we knew it was going to be rocking on the day. We knew deep down we had a good team, good characters. We had no shirkers. There wasn't too many bottlers in our dressing room, and there's. As long as Howard picked the sort of right side and, and got us going for the game, we fancied ourselves. Yeah, and, and I mean, that day, I mean, I remember the build-up, you know, Howard was, you know, I was working, obviously, with, with the press at the time and, and, and trying, to, trying to manage, it was like a cup final that Sunday, wasn't it, against Coventry? It was, it was. Well, we were, in the, we were over the water the night before, I think we were in a hotel in New Brighton somewhere. Yeah. 
And um, Howard took us for a walk the morning of the game, as Howard did, just you know, for a stroll. And then typical Howard, he took us into these lovely sort of tea rooms over the water somewhere and he made everyone have a cup of tea and a scone. Typical we were like, got a big, we've got the biggest game in the world this afternoon. We've got a cup of tea and a, squat, and a scone. And everyone's just sort of chatting, relaxed. But that was sort of Howard's way. It was it was just, just for five minutes of your life just to take the pressure off and stop thinking about the the game at three o'clock it was if he if he can just do anything that would take your mind off that game for five minutes he's willing to do it what was he like that day uh don because you know i remember him and he was very you know i remember actually reading the teams out at the time and he was shouting me down and i had to stop reading the coventry seam out um and come down and he said to me look at the grass look how long the grass is and i you know i swore with him at the time and i said i don't drive this something tracty you know and and it was the te- <laughs> you know the tensions was like you know it was like yeah. what was he like in the dressing room what was his dressing well, room uh, talk, well, talk like well if you well if you could imagine if you could imagine a man that loves ever more than anyone on this planet and that's Howard Kendall, and he's going to be the man that potentially takes them down for their first time in the history. He ain't never going to be calm. You know, he's always going to be a little bit stressed, a little bit, you know, highly strung. Um, you say the wrong, wrong little thing to him on that day, and he could snap, which was, shows his passion. Um, but his team talk was fine. He was, he was. I wouldn't say he was relaxed because no one was, and I don't really think he, he, him, Adrian Heath, or Viv said anything magical to us before the game. It was just. You know, it was a case of calming us down because we all went out for the warm-up. It was, it was a full house on the warm-up, which you never quite see. I remember the yeah. coach journey was actually the most frightening time in terms of actually what it meant. And we, and we come down, and we were coming down the, coming down the road, and there must have been about twenty thousand fans banging on the, on the team bus and banging on the windows, and it was, yeah. it was, it was high tension stuff. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. you get off the coach, and you can. You can see the sort of anxiety in, in, in the fans' faces. You can see men crying. You can see women in tears. You can see young kids petrified. And then you get into the sort of sanctuary where you feel comfortable, and that's the dressing room. And then you go through your normal stuff where you, you know, you're having your strappings on and you're, you're reading the programme and you have a shower or whatever you do just to take your mind off that hour before you go for the warm-up. And then and, and that's the nightmare time for any player, the hour and a half before kickoff. And... You, know, you get out in the grass and you feel a ball and you, you get a sense of the atmosphere and then you, you go back in and then you wait for final instructions and then that's it. It's it's Howard Howard's going to deliver his last team talk to you. Viv's, uh, Viv's going to do a little bit on the, on the set plays and Inchie's going to give you a little you know a speech that's going to get you going and then you look round in each other's eyes and you just think right we're up for it. And people like Dave Watson and myself and you know Dave Unsworth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Waggy, all, all the players there were, you know, really influential on 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 getting the performance. And even even the young players, even people like John Oster and John O'Kane, you know, even even they said little bits. Yeah. Even they done little bits between themselves. It was it, it was hard, you know what I mean? Because you, you 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 didn't want to be the one that was just shouting rubbish and shouting nonsense. You had to make sure that you were clear in what you were saying. And I think that was the that was the biggest. Uh, thing Howard done well, he was calm and delivering that, that that final team talk to calm everyone down, to make sure that he wouldn't swap any single player for any Coventry player. Told us where to get the balls, get the ball wide, get it in the box, and every time we went at a dunk, you know, make sure you make your runs off him. Um, and it was, and it was just a case of going doing it. And, and I mean, I remember that morning. I mean, I, I did, you know, I've said it before. I did two interviews with the chairman that day. At one. 
for afterwards because obviously he wouldn't have been able to show his face afterwards. But but you yeah. know, I did one that we'd stayed up and one that we'd gone down. You know, it was that serious, wow. yeah. and it was that yeah. you know, it was that. Uh, possible wasn't it you know what I mean but the relief when we got the result that we needed the relief afterwards on the pitch I mean was just you know my job was to get incredible. every player off and it wasn't that easy <laughs> no it was incredible and I, and, I, and I see the footage sometimes when I see it back on, on TV and there's there's so many grown men and women that were desperate to get on the pitch mm. and I don't even think they knew what they were doing were on the pitch half of them just broke down in tears I'm not even sure half of them want to get at the players because we were rubbish all season. Uh, what I mean, get at the players, I mean, like, give them a hug yeah. or anything. It was just, <laughs> people just wanted to be, people just wanted a release of something and it was a case of sitting there for 90 minutes biting your nails and they couldn't take it any longer. And once that final whistle went, I think they felt as though they had to move and had to do something and mm. give themselves a shake and run on the pitch was their way of expressing themselves. And mm. when you see the footage again, you see people just like, you know, on their knees, crying. It was just, it was unbelievable. Is it up there with some of the moments in your career, that? Definitely. It, it definitely. I mean, I've been lucky and I've scored some vital goals. I've, I've played for my country, scored against England. But that day was a strange one because I can remember after the game, I can remember there was champagne being popped and, and you know, people were having a little drink, as you do. Uh, and it, it, ne it never felt right because, obviously, you know, we've only just survived relegation and this is Everton football. Course, club. Yeah. We should never ever find ourselves in this situation again. But you t you do tend to have a little drink because it's just human nature, and you you just want to let off a little bit of steam. Mm. And I can remember just taking a little swig, and then I can remember sort of looking over to to where Howard and Adrian and Viv would have been sat, and Howard wasn't there. Mm. And um, I asked Inchi, and he said, "Where's where's the gaff?" And he went, "He'll be in the boot room." And uh, you know the boot room first yeah. left out the yeah. out the home dressing room. Yeah. And um, I sort of, I sort of slid the, slid the door really gently, and it was pitch black. And I sort of had a feeling Howard was in there in the dark, so I sort of made sure I give it a little knock, banged a few times on the door, and then just said Gaffer like such, just to let him know I was coming in. And um, and I, when I sort of opened the door, I seen the sort of, I seen Howard sort of silhouette in the corner, and he was just crying. He was, he was just sat down in the middle of the, the boot room, or sorry, the corner of the boot room, in tears. Uh, I didn't. I didn't bother putting the light on. I sort of walked over to him, and I sat with him. And, I, and it was. I get emotional talking about it, but I wish I could have that minute back because yeah. the two of us just hugged each other. I didn't really cry because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure, and I, and I wanted to comfort the gaffer, but he was, he was bawling. Mm. Um, he was squeezing me like no one's ever squeezed me before, and um, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, everyone says like the birth of your, your boys or your girls and your, and your kids and all that's emotional, the best day of your life, which it is. But I'll, I'll never, ever forget that. that, that that'll be one moment I'll, I'll treasure for the rest of my life. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I remember when you signed it, there was a special bond between you and Howard, I think, wasn't there? You know, I don't know it whether was. that came from Sheffield United or what, but, but you certainly, he certainly had a real, um, a, a, you know, a real sort of love for you. I remember him talking to me about you on numerous occasions. Yeah, yeah when Howard signed me for a million quid from West Ham, I've not, I had not played under Howard before, so we mm. didn't have a relationship. So we were sort of brand new, we were just thrown together. Uh, and I can remember sitting in his office, and my agent at the time was Rachel Anderson, and she was in another room with the chief executive, and uh, this was at Sheffield United. Mm. And um, and Howard went, he's signing. I went and I, and I sort of gave him all the patter. Well, I don't know, Gaffer. Like you know, did, <laughs> Rachel's doing her thing. I said, well, he went, never mind that lad. He went, are you signing or what? And I went, 
Well, yeah, yeah, I went, I went, he went, well, you know, go and get a little uh, Britvik out the, out the fridge. I got a little Britvik and um, he had a little bit of vodka and he poured a little glass of vodka there. We two had a little Britvik orange and he, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying I've signed. I've not even signed, but it's done. In, in Howard's mind, it's done. Yeah. He, he could have walked back in there and went, yeah, Hutch will take 100 quid a week. He's done. Yeah. He's, he's, he's coming. Yeah. Um, so that was it. It was done. Yeah. And then from then on, me and Gareth Taylor, ex-Welsh uh, International, used to drive into training. Uh, we lived in, in Dronfield in, in, in Sheffield and we used to drive to Bramall Lane every day. And the two of us used to laugh every single day on the way to training in the car because we, we weren't sure what jokes and what patter and what crack Howard and his coaching staff had for us that day. Yeah. And, I've, and, I've, and I've never, ever had that before. Normally, you, when, you, when you're going into training, you, you've got your music on or you listen to, to radio stations and you're not overly thinking what the training sessions are going to be because you've done them all before and, and you find out when you get there. But under, under Howard at Sheffield United, it was just a hilarious time. Yeah. And it was brilliant because the football was great. And I always tell everyone, if you, if you truly love football, if you truly love football and you're a footballer, you've got to spend time in the lower divisions mm. because it's 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 the making of you. You have to be strong. You have to be durable. You can't afford to miss any games. If you're carrying a knock, dust yourself down and go again. You play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, all season long. And, and, and that under Howard was just a joy. Yeah, it's, it's really good advice, I think, for any footballer that. Um, and then, of course... You know, the pretty much the inevitable came. I mean, I, you know, I was there the day when when Howard was told, you know, that he was no longer wanted at, at Everton, and you know, it was a terrible day. But but obviously, the, the, Howard moved on, and and uh, and Walter came, and then um, yeah. obviously that a very different style of management and a very different time for you, I guess, at the club. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Walter was Walter and Archie Knox were completely different. You know, you, you, real chalk and cheese characters compared to Howard. But, you know, good for me. And I think it was good for the team as well because Howard, Howard's uh, methods were quite relaxed in training. He, he, he totally believed in his players. Where Walter had a sort of distrust and everyone was starting a, a clean slate. And, 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 the, and I can remember him saying on his first training session, I want this session to be like a game. So I want you to, whatever, whatever team I pick, I'm going to pick an 11 v 11 and we're going to have a practice match or we're going to do 7v7s or 8v8s and I want you to kick looks out of each other. I want you to smash each other in training. Wow. And we were like, really? Like, when he went, what if we get injured? Don't worry about that. Don't worry if you injure someone. I'd rather that than sort of tip me toe our way around training and, 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 and yeah. the intensity not being the same. And, and I've seen some incredible things. I mean, I... I I'd seen, you know, people like myself, people like Dunk, um, experienced ca characters. Bakayoko came in. I remember Dunk having a, a proper fist fight with Bakayoko. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Ollie come in. Ollie Decor. Me and yeah. me and Ollie had fisticuffs every single day. Matarazzi come in. John Collins must have knew what hit him because he just come in. You know, being this sort of total footballer thrown into this sort of environment. But it was good for the team because it sharpened us up. Yeah. And it just made sure that every training session you had to be switched on. 
I mean, you, you had your, your sort of falling out with, with Walter. I think it's it's well documented. And, and I remember yeah. I remember being in the office. I don't know whether you'll ever remember this, but I remember being in his office once and, and you came to knock on the door to ask to come and speak to him about, I think, why you weren't yeah. in the team. And, and, and Walter yeah. said to me, stay where you are. And I, I said, well, I, I don't really want to be, you know, it, it, Don wants to speak to, yeah. to you. And I, I sort of had to sit there while you came in and had this conversation, this really awkward conversation with the manager. And, was, and that, I, was, that the, was that the day before we beat West Ham 4, I think, Nick Barr? Scored. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was. it was. Well, that, yeah, what what happened during the week is I was I was in for a new contract. Hmm. So Howard, uh, sorry, Walter, had actually told me how much Nick Barnby was on, hmm. and he told me his numbers. He told me Kev Campbell. He told me Dunk, John Collins, and Matarazzi. So he told me the five players who were earning big money, hmm. and he said, "You're not gonna. We can't get anywhere near that." He said, and I said, oh, and he told me the figures. And I went, Gaff, I went, I'm the lowest paid player at the club. Mm. I went, I'm not expecting to jump from where, where I'm at to, to what Big Dunk and, and all the star players are earning. I went, but I'm, I'm captain. I went, you've made me captain of the club. I went, at least look after me. Mm. So he said to me one day, he went, um, I'll tell you how much Nick Barmby's on. And he told me, and he went, would you accept that? And I went, 100%. And I shook his hand. So I shook his hand on a four-year contract and exactly the same wages as Nick Barmby. So that so a couple of days before that Friday, my agent, myself and Walter and the chief exec had a meeting and they started low. We started high and I'm sitting there looking at the gaffer. I think, well, look, they'll, they'll come to the middle ground in a minute uh, and we'll agree on Nick Barnby's wages. So the meeting sort of was going on and on and on, but it wasn't really going anywhere. So my agent just said, look, if we're not prepared to meet in the middle, then I don't think there's any more talking to do. And the chief executive went, fine, no more contract. The contract's withdrawn. Um, wow. Donald will have to you know, deal with that. So I'm staring at the gaffer. And this was either on the Wednesday or the Thursday. I'm staring at the gaffer and the meeting was adjourned. So the Friday, I come in for training with my tracksuit on to travel away to West Ham. Yeah. So I knock on the gaffer's door and obviously you're in there. Archie Knox is in there. And I said to the gaffer, I went, what happened, uh, what happened in the meeting the other day? He went, what? And I went, well, you told me I was I could have what Nick Barmby's on. And he went, no, I never. And I went, you did? I said, you told me how much everyone's earning, and you told me how much Nick Barmby's on, and you said, would you accept that? And I said, yes. And we shook hands, and he went, I never said that. I said, you did. And then he said, are you calling me a liar? And I looked at Archie. Archie had his glasses on. Archie just sat down doing his notes, and I went, yeah. And then with that, he pinned me up against the wall, and he went, get yourself home. You know, few expletives in there. This, get yourself home. You'll never play for this football club again. Get yourself home. And he had to drive home. And they went to West Ham, Everton, I think, the next day on the Saturday. Right. Beat Everton, uh, sorry, beat West Ham by four. Yeah. Army scored a hat-trick. Yeah. And I come and seen him on the Monday morning. He went, you got two options. He went, you can train with the kids at the training ground, at the, the kids' training ground at one o'clock. Uh, sorry, at normal time. Or you can come in to Belfield and train at one o'clock on your own. And I went, I'll come in and train on my own. And I'd done that for two months without speaking to the gaffer, without speaking to anyone. And then uh, I think Everton got loads of injuries. Yeah. He brought me back into the team and I scored against Leicester away. You did, I remember that as well. And and, and I remember you coming back into the, the team and uh, at Leicester away, as you say. And I think, I think um, was it a Barnby Cross maybe? And you, and you, it was, you, yeah, it was. Barnby it. Cross, we had the yellow, yellow kit on. And I, and I remember that goal and, and, it, and it was a big game. And I think... I think what was great about that is that you came into that game and you and you gave 
hundred percent. You know, after coming that, in, yeah. Well, Al, that's, out, that, yeah. that's me, Al. That, that's me, and that's that's why I had mixed feelings working under Walter because I actually genuinely really liked him. Yeah. And I and, and I was starting to get a bond with him. Um, and me and Archie were quite close. Uh, and apparently, I you know, when I'd been on international duty, I told that story to a couple of lads in the in the uh, Scotland squad, and they went, "Yeah, he's he, he's done that once before when he was at Rangers. It's a little bit of a sort of tactic of his." Mm. Um, and it was a shame because um, it, it was it was that was the beginning of the end, really. Yeah. You know, it was a case of he was never really going to want to keep me. There wasn't a contract there, and it was sort of inevitable. And I had to sort of move on, but it was just a crying shame. Yeah, because as you say, it was one of those relationships with Walter, and I think a few players had that. It was a it was a tough relationship, but it was you know yeah. it, 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 it was, was tough love. Yeah, it was. Yeah, tough it was love, tough love. Right. I think yeah. I think I think I think deep down, I think Walter loved his players, mm. and I and I can't speak for ever, for every player that was in that Everton dressing room that played under him. Of course, but I would say the majority wouldn't have a bad word to say about him. And, and I wouldn't either. That was just that was just how it was back then. Al, you know, you, we're in the modern game now, and we work in the media, and we're looking at players now that are soft. We're looking at coaches that are soft. They can't deliver any any rollickings these days because they get accused of bullying and this that, and the other. But that's how that's how life was as a as a Premier League footballer in that era. And it was it was tough, but you had to man up. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to take you back to another time when you when you that free kick against Liverpool in the dying minutes. <laughs> um, uh, Graham Paul. Graham Paul, talk me through that, Don. Talk me through it. Uh, well, the game was going nowhere with about five seconds left on the clock, and Vestervelds took a free kick, uh, and I walked past him, and it struck me on the ass and went in the back of the net at the Gladys Street end. Yeah. And Graham Paul's panicked, in my opinion, uh, and he's blue for full time. Yeah. And it was just nuts because. It was more so, more so the players around me that sort of realised actually what had happened. Where he panicked more than anything, and it was a ridiculous decision where, you know, Graham Pohl had a panic up, didn't know what to do, didn't probably see it, and just went full time. Because Vestavell just took the free kick, didn't he? It was just, it was just, yeah. You know, there, there was nothing wrong with it, and, and I think we were all going crazy on the line. I think it was, was it Gerard Houllier who was the manager then, and he was, it was. Know, yeah, and he was sort of trying to, you know, put pressure on the ref. I think to just, to just come off the, the field. Only thing, at that the only thing, the only thing, the only thing, Graham Paul might have had in his defence was I might not have been ten yards away, hmm. but he, did, but he didn't give it for that. If he yeah. had a blue and I wasn't ten yards away, that would, that would have been sort of understandable, but. He blew for full time. That's right. Which was just bonkers. <laughs> and what a goal that would have been for you as well. Oh, <laughs> would have been one of my finest. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, now, look, I mean, um, as far as the players are concerned, who were, your, who were your favourite players at Everton? Who were the ones you got on with and who were the ones you didn't? I think you related uh, or sort of you know, alluded to Decor before. And I know it wasn't, it wasn't really a great relationship there, was it? With me and Ollie? Yeah. No, no, we loved each other. It was. I, t- I tell you why. I tell you why. Or, or what happened was, it was about. We went away to El Choco in Italy for pre-season, and yeah. we had a fantastic training camp. Yeah. And we came back, and Walter put an eleven v eleven on as as managers normally do, and it was reserves versus first team. So the first team, uh, and, and that's normally an indication of what the team's going to be for the opening day of the season. So he put obviously the first team, and he put the reserves. And he got me in a, in a 1v1 before, and he told me he was going to put me in the reserves. And he went, um, 
just to let you know, um, you haven't got any plans in my first team this season. And I went, oh, what do you mean? He went, well, I've signed John Collins and I've signed Olivier Decor. Um, we've got midfield players here. He went, you're not a part of my plan. So, you know, just, just, just mark on your card. If you want to find another club, you can. And he went, what do you think about that? And I went, I'm not sure what you're saying. I said, because I'll stay and fight for my place. He went, what do you mean? I said, I'm better than John Collins. I went, I'm better than Olivier Decor. I didn't know this. I was just, I was blagging it. Yeah. And he went, well, he went, because obviously, I, you know, they, they were brand new signings. And I was like, I'm better than them. So when he, when he put the 11 v 11 on, it was probably one of the most brutal games for myself and Ollie. I was in the reserves and Ollie was in the first team. And the first five minutes, Ollie got the ball to his feet and I absolutely wiped him out with a two-footed tackle. And he, and he popped back up with the anger in his face to say, what are you doing? Like, you're just a reserve player. I've got a game next week. Yeah. And I looked at him and I went, no, no, no. I said, there's plenty more where that came from. And then five minutes later, the ball sort of spun to John Collins and I've topped him as well. So the two of them knew that they had a game on, even though it was just first team against Rezies. Yeah. Five minutes after that, I've got a ball and Oli DeCourse took me out with a two-footed tackle which I loved. So therefore, me and Ollie now had like a mutual respect where we thought, right, we know we know each other's game is. Like, anytime he gets it, I'm on him. Every time I get it, he's on me. And then after that, we had a real healthy relationship. We ended up being really, really close. Mm. Um, same, same with Matarazzi. Um, and you know what you know what the dressing room's like, Al? When, when you're there for a period of time, very rarely do you ever have a fight with someone or an argument with someone and it goes on and on and yeah, on and on. I mean I, can, yeah. mm. I mean, I can remember the time Walter Smith took the armband off Dunk and gave it to me. Yeah. And I used to sit next to Dunk in the in, 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 in training ground. I had, to sit, I had to sit next to Dunk for another <laughs> few months after I've taken the armband off him. Now, that weren't easy, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm that surprised you lasted a few that, months. <laughs> mate, honestly, that was not easy. So I, I realised that when I went in there, I was thinking, when I was driving into training, I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to say to Dunk? Like, what can I what can I say to him? So I thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm just going to be nice about it. I'm going to be sort of, you know, pleasant. I'm just going to tell the truth. Like, look, it's not my decision. Don't like, you know, I'm, I'm still part of the dressing room. I walked in there and I sort of walked towards Dunk and he was sat down and he stood up. And all of a sudden he went from six foot four to seven foot four. And I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to say now? And I just opened up with my, like, my, my, my very first few words. And he just sort of he stared at me, give me a look, and just walked straight off in the distance. Brilliant. And I thought, oh. Yeah. And I think a few of the lads were in there. I think Waggy was in there at the time. I think Dave Unsworth, Unsworth might have been in there. And they just said, leave him. Just yeah. leave him be. Yeah. yeah. Leave him for a few days. Good advice. And I, and I, and I literally, and I, but I had to sit next to him. Mm. So it was like, whenever I come in, put my boots on, he got up and walked off. Whenever I wasn't in, he was sat down chatting to everyone. The second I walked in, he'd get out, leave the room. It was terrible. It was terrible. And all of a sudden, like something happens in training where you pass the ball to him, or he passes the ball to you, and then within five minutes, all it's all forgotten about. Yeah. And that's that's how football sort of was. And then yeah. in the end, we were never the closest, but I think, you know, I don't think we're ever gonna be. But whenever whenever you know there was a night out or whenever there was some sort of bonding session, we made sure yeah we would we would you know we we were quite nice to each other. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen Dunk, you know, when we've when I've been back to Goodison, and he's always been always been super nice. I've never mentioned it, but he's always been cool about it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move it right on now. Obviously, you left Everton, but then, but but just coming up to present day, and 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 you've gone. And I have to say, you know, I, I see footballers who've known through the years, and and I, and I, 
even though I always felt you were very talkative and all the rest of it, I never saw you going into the media, but you seem to be one of the most popular, and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, blow smoke where it goes, you know, but you yeah. seem to be one of the most popular pundits around on television now. What, what, why do you think that is? No idea, Al. I mean, yeah. the only thing with me is I, is I, is I sort of, I say, it, I, I say it how I see it. Mm. You know, if I, if, I, if I say someone's having an absolute nightmare in a game, I'll call it. But I won't just dig a player out. I'll say, look, I've been there as well. Mm. You know, we've all been there. We've, we've all missed open goals. We've all made bad decisions. We've all had a bad day in training. We've all had a row with the boss. But I think all them sort of little stories, I think the fans like to hear. I think when you're doing your commentary, I, I'm not going to be on the fence. I'm going to call it when someone's having a bad game. If Everton are playing bad, I'll call it, even though I used to play for the club. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I, think, I think fans like that. I think they... And I think they, I think they, I think they hear the spiel from managers. I think, you know, I think sort of Liverpool certainly had that under Brendan. I think Liverpool had that little bit under Roberto. Just a little bit of too much spiel after games when, you know, fans fans just know when their when their team was crap. Mm. You know, you don't need to dress it up and, and try and blame formations or all these nice words about philosophy and intensity and all this. You know, I think fans just want to hear a manager turn around and go, you know, we were awful today. Yeah. You know, Christy Wilder's a breath of fresh air, isn't he, at Sheffield yeah. United? Yeah. You know, he came out last week and he got asked a question about the, the fans applauding his team and he went, I'm not going to applaud my team. He went, that's that's the bare minimum. Mm. You know, you, you turn up and you, and, you, and you give it your all and you, and you try your best, that's a minimum. You know, it's whether you play well after that. And I think, and I think the, the, the fans really want to hear that. And, 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 I, and I try to get that across more so than anything. Yeah, a bit of honesty is, is exactly. refreshing today, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, look, at, at the end of everyone that I speak with on, on this podcast, the Everton podcast here, um, I, I give them what's called the 2020 challenge. It's 20 questions, and we have to ask them very quickly. So, you know, they're, they're one yeah. word answers, and uh, here we go. Yeah. Teammate you go trusted on. the most at Everton? Teammate I trusted? Yeah. Kevin Campbell. Okay, opponent you avoided the most. Crikey. Come back to that one. I need to come back to that okay. one. Your favourite boots? Favourite boots, uh, Copa Mundials. Love it. Manager or coach that you had most respect for? Howard. Okay, manager or coach you wish you would have played for? Oh, that's a good one. Glenn Oddle. Really? Uh, okay, favourite away dressing room? Anfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't work that one out, to be honest. Opposition. No, 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 I'm just doing that just so the Everton fans can sip their cup of tea and go... <laughs> uh, opposition fans that gave you the most stick? Uh, Sunderland. A position you'd... Have... Oh, no, 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 sorry, 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 Newcastle, Newcastle. Newcastle, of course. A, a position that you'd have played, if not your own? Oh, right back. Easiest position on the park. Uh, OK. Biggest mistake you made in your career? Oh. Uh, um, young lad at Liverpool. I think everyone knows the stories. Of course. Uh, <laughs> OK. Best decision made at, uh, of your career? Best decision I've ever made. Um, representing Scotland for my dad. Love it. Uh, most prized football possession you have? Uh, my uh, Scottish medal for reaching 25 caps. OK. A club that you could have joined, but you didn't? Inter Milan. Really? 
Yeah. When was that when you were at Liverpool? Or? Uh, where was that? That was... Um, I'm trying to think when that was. I think it was early days. Early days when Walter took over at Everton. Really? When yeah. He stayed. Uh, a player that you'd pay to watch now. Uh, what, as a current player? Yeah, any. Uh, well, Gaza from the past, but Kevin De Bruyne. Love it. Uh, a player that Everton should have bought during your time, do you think? Crikey. Um, I think we needed a partner for Kevin Campbell. Mm. Um, a few have said I'm that. Trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who was sort of available back then. Well, we'll move on with Alan, Alan Shearer. I tell, no, I'll tell you what I'll say. Alan Smith from Leeds. Really? Well, it was. I think, it, it came I think, close, I think, he would, I think, I think Evertonians would have loved him. Yeah, it came close a couple of times, that. Um, the, Did th- he? the thing you most like about football? Um, emotions. I like the emotion. I like the emotion in players and fans. Okay. The thing you hate most about football? Diving. Everyone says that. Brilliant. Uh, the best goal you ever scored, or, you know, for Everton? Best goal I ever scored for Everton um, was I scored a brace against Sunderland and I think one of them was a volley into the top corner. I remember it. I remember it well. If you weren't a footballer, what sport or what other sport would you play? Tennis. Really? I, I would. I would love to have been in a sport where I'm just on my own. Really? So it, just to, just just to see how I would have coped. Because yeah. I either would have been brilliant or I would have been rubbish. Yeah, because I know it sounds obvious, but it is a really different sort of whole mentality, isn't it? You know, well, individual it is because sport you, could, than a team sport. Well, you sink, yeah, well, you sink or swim, didn't you? Because with football, you could have an absolute mare and you can win 2-0. Yeah. yeah. With, with an individual sport, you have a mare, you lose. OK, biggest lesson you learned in the game? Probably under Walter, sometimes just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and finally, how would you like to be remembered? Just someone that gave it all. I wasn't the best player in the world. I certainly wasn't the worst. But I'd, I'd like to think that every 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 fan that paid their money when I was playing in their team would go, yeah, he was good for us. Uh, just finally, Don, I mean, listen, I've been really appreciated. It's been fan- fascinating for me to talk to you, honestly. It really has. And I think the Evertonians will really enjoy it. Yeah, um, good. But I just want to pick you up on one thing, that you always were very good with nicknames. Uh, and you gave me one, Twiggy, at the time, which Twiggy. I think <laughs> was possibly a reference <laughs> to, the, to the royal family. <laughs> to the royal family? Yeah, well, it was just one, because footballers, footballers have just got, just got, every time they like someone, they give someone like an affectionate nickname. Oh, and we sort of seen you every day, and the royal family was on, and it was brilliant at the time. And Twiggy come through the back door with his sort of vest on, and, you know, and we seen you one day, like, sweating away as you better do interviews. You went, Twiggy! Al! Al's Twiggy! Twiggy's Al! I've never wore a vest. You're lying now. (laughs) Don, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I've really enjoyed it. um, Anytime... Anytime you I know, need me, pal. I know the Evertonians sort of keep, you know, have you in high regard, you know, so, uh, oh, good, especially good. for an ex-Red. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we look forward to listening to you on the, on the telly. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Take Don. care. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Don Hutchison. Uh, he really is a character. He says it how it is. Um, even though he called me Twiggy as a nickname, I'll never forgive him for that. But um, but certainly was an enjoyable, honest, uh, candid interview. And uh, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a little bit of a shortened one, as I say, but I think an enjoyable one with Don Hutchison's interview. And uh, I'll see you on episode 10. So up the toffees as always. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.